Thank you for joining us for this Argus podcast on marine fuels. Our guest today is Daniel Gent, Energy and Sustainability Manager at uh, the United European Car Carriers, better known as UECC, which is headquartered in Oslo, Norway. It's the uh, leading provider of short sea rural transportation in Europe with a fleet of about 16 medium sized pure car and truck carriers. Dan, thanks a lot for joining us. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Very, uh, very pleased to represent uh, UECC on this uh, on this excellent podcast. Excellent. Thanks a lot. Um, listen, uh, during that first lockdown in uh, in Europe, um, it, it sort of goes without saying that uh, nobody was allowed to to drive um, or buy cars. Uh, but then during summertime, there's been a a, a peak of of uh, driving. People, you know, couldn't really tell whether uh, those uh, flying corridors, uh, it was a bit unpredictable in terms of, of flights. So they um, chose to. How's that um, affected, impacted UECC? So it's a really interesting one because, I mean, our business is predominantly movement of, of new cars. So it's uh, so really, you know, the kind of the volumes that we carry around are driven by new car sales. Um, which are kind of tied much more explicitly to the, how well the economy is performing. So short-term kind of driving miles being increased or decreased, we necessarily see um, a, a much of an in- increase or decrease in cargo flow. But of course, what we did see was at the beginning of this uh, this lockdown across Europe was that car manufacturers were closing down plants. Um, you know, there was redundancies across the board in, in the major car manufacturers in Europe, like Germany. Um, and, and of course, that meant that the volumes dropped off extremely quickly. What we have seen is that we've got now to October, November, and there's been something of a V-shape recovery in in volumes. Um, The volumes are back up to kind of budget levels for us, Um, really quite surprising. Um, But it's an interesting one to monitor because, of course, the long-term economic effects of COVID, we we, we won't see. And and I I would expect that that's much more going to determine our volumes long-term, whether we see that uh, economies have been hit massively by this and, and, and consequently new car sales. Um, well, it's it's at least a, a, a good sign to to have uh, witnessed a V-shaped recovery uh, thus far, and uh, for sure the, the the future is still um, so unpredictable right now. Uh, as we're back literally into um, in the UK, at least where we're both talking uh, in what a couple of days from now, we're back into into lockdown. So um, now, um, given that you had a V-shaped recovery and and um, supposedly your ships were transiting again a bit uh, in in uh, October and, and now in November. Um, how how has been your, your experience this year on the uh, IMO 2020 uh, transition with uh, now VLSFO being the dominant fuel being bunkered um, in the ARA region, but worldwide, but for you, it's specifically the ARA region, the, the, the region of interest. So has been uh, the, the, um, your feedback on that and, and quality, any quality issues or, or things of that sort? Yeah, it's um, it's a funny one, really. I mean, as an organisation, we are um, European. Uh, we're based, I would say, from St. Petersburg to to Istanbul, if you like. Uh, that's more or less the range. So we do cover uh, ECA and non-ECA travel. Um, I have to say, most of our volume is in the ECA. So we were already using uh, 0.1% on gas oil, but we did have a number of vessels which were running on high sulfur fuel oil um, uh, last year. Um, what I would say is that the experience that we've had, we've always been quite early adopters. I think we have a very good engineering competence. 
And um, what we did as soon as the uh, ULSFOs came on the market in the 2015 at 0.1%, we we went for it. You know, we're, we're normally pioneers in that sense. And I think we have good we have good crews, we have good shore-based engineers who make these things. Um, with some beginning with the VLSFO, we found, you know, normally related not so much to product issues, but more with handling, storage. You know, engineers uh, used to uh, purifying and storing it uh, a product at a certain temperature um, and of course that takes a little bit of adjustment but in, in general I'm happy to say we, we really uh, have handled it well. Um, what also has, uh, has changed this year is of course then um, we'll discuss this later that we have one vessel which has moved on to an entirely new fuel in, in biofuel um, and of course we have vessels running in LNG so we're kind of our vessels are compliant uh, with uh, the new regulation 2020 in a number of ways and not just the switch to, uh, to VLSFO. Excellent, and and yes, indeed, we'll touch on the uh, uh, your biofuel experience and LNG experience uh, in in a minute. Um, now, switching gears a little bit, um, I want to address this um, well contentious uh, topic uh, regarding uh, credit lines. Um, it's been uh, talked about a lot actually uh, recently in uh, in various webinars. Um, because some international banks like UBS and BNP and I think Societe Generale as well were uh, hit by uh, uh, some players, uh, mostly in, um, in, in Asia, that uh, went uh, bankrupt, um, that filed for bankruptcy. Um, and um, there are worries that there's going to be some kind of repercussions uh, down downstream and upstream uh, and that can affect your uh, credit line as as a ship owners uh, buying bonkers uh, usually on on credit uh, you know credit terms of even 30 days and that those uh, credit terms might be shortened uh, have you experienced anything um, anything like that of a shortening credit line or, or shortening of a, a you know access to credits and finance um, in general, no, I, I would say we haven't. I mean, um, you know, as, a, as, as far as an organizational structure goes, you know, we have we have a very uh, strong uh, ownership um, in, in NYK as uh, 50% owner of UECC and Wallenius Lines of uh, Sweden also owning 50%. So, you know, from a, from a bank's perspective, we, we, we're a fairly good, uh, we're a fairly good kind of uh, candidate for, for credit, I guess. Um, I know we have a very close relationship with the banks uh, that we use. Um, they're, they're heavily involved uh, in the new building projects that we have. Um, in particular, uh, you know, we, we, we align with banks uh, which are using the Poseidon principles to, to uh, you know, to provide funding for, for kind of uh, green initiatives, which is the sort of thing we're interested in. So um, from the supply side, absolutely, we've seen ARA market suppliers, certainly they've been feeling the squeeze themselves. And of course, they try to push that a little bit onto the, to the customers, uh, try to shorten the credit terms a bit on, on bunker deliveries. But uh, as of yet, we, we haven't seen any shortening or it hasn't been mandated to us. Uh, we've managed to keep things fairly, fairly stable. That's great. So it's uh, probably a testament of your uh, good reputation in the market as a what you call a blue chip uh, ship owner. I didn't want to say blue chip, but I'm glad that you did. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's the reputation indeed. Yes, so that's uh, that's good that um, you're keeping it up. So, um, and um, in in terms of uh, well, actually, overall reputation of a of a bunker market and bunker industry. Uh, Singapore has successfully enforced uh, the use of mass meters. Um, I think it's uh, back in January 1st, 2017, when it was uh, mandated on the on the bunker suppliers to use mass meters for every single uh, deliveries. And um, now it's been largely successful in the sense that it saves time 
uh, during the delivery and and uh, well time is money so as well as money but in terms of money uh, it's it's also in terms of well you can call it cheating right uh, uh, those gains and and volume that tends to disappear uh, during um, uh, delivery of bonkers and uh, this has been largely uh, taken care of by mass meters. Uh, eyes have now turned to uh, onto uh, Rotterdam to implement the same kind of you know mandate mass meters for for deliveries uh, of suppliers there. Um, do you think that mass meters should be standardized throughout the industry and especially in these flow ports like uh, like Rotterdam? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, it, you know, the impact in Singapore has been has been uh, marked. Um, I think that uh, I think that you can't underestimate the uh, the, the benefit of the mass flow meters. Um, not not just on the kind of the, the reduction in the dark arts, as as we would probably call it, the bunkering, uh, these gains that you see that have been made. Um, but also as, as well, it's 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 um, it's laborious. Uh, it, it is a huge administration uh, effort to resolve these kind of things. It damages uh, relationships, which also uh, damages the ability to collaborate on you know, kind of meaningful projects going forward. You know what we found on the projects that we we work on, we we pick suppliers, um, uh, one of whom uh, you had as a guest earlier in this series in uh, in the Coronameyer and Good Fuels. You know we pick suppliers that we can collaborate with, who we who we trust explicitly, um, and we can uh, we can really work with them. And of course the, that that trust is broken down when you um, when you are constantly arguing about uh, how many tons you're actually supplied. So, um, so yeah, I, I could see that being a really positive move in Rotterdam, certainly for, for our vessels operating in ARA, particularly bunkering in Zeebrugge, which is our main port in Belgium. Um, we employ a bunker surveyor on every delivery. It's, it's almost um, a necessity. And, of course, that, that brings with it uh, a cost. Um, and, and as a ship owner, we welcome kind of transparency as, as, as much as possible. And, and mass flow meters do certainly help to, um, to help to provide that. Yeah, indeed, I agree, and it uh, it helps also focus on on. Well, now there's so much talks about alternative fuels, like you said, biofuels and and uh, LNGs and uh, and more complexity in the in the supply chain going forward with the different uh, you know the IMO fifty that it's good to be focusing on on that rather than whether you're being delivered the right quantity, right? So um, uh, speaking of IMO 2030 and 2050, um, it's it's just a kind of roadmap right now, right? Those those uh, CO2 intensity uh, uh, goals and GNG uh, goals comes 2050. Um, do you think it's one, do you think it's going to be mandated? And uh, do you think uh, that it will be mandated by the spring of 2023? Yeah, so it's uh, I, I like yeah the, the the use of the word uh, roadmap there. I think at the moment what we have is uh, it's like we're we're on Google Earth and we're zoomed a long long way out. We can see where we need to go to and from, but uh, there's no clear path between the two. And what we need to do is focus in exactly on how we're going to get from A to B. Um, I think 2023 is a clear point for that. Um, that, that that really the the, the details or, or a little bit more detail on the roadmap can be can be put down. Um, what I would say is in general the what the IMO has done with the 2050 um, carbon reduction is um, remarkable. I mean, for 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 um, a, an organisation to come with an industry-wide limit and just say this is what we're going to achieve by this by this date, I actually think I could I can really see um, the possibility that the 50% will be increased as well. I know there were actors really uh, pushing for that uh, at the time. In the United Nations, there's a lot of member states there who wanted 100%, 75 or 100% reduction. And so I think that the 
you know the 50 percent was was almost a, a little bit of a, a seed to the um you know a bit of a conceding to to the actors who didn't want to really push for such a strong reduction so whether we see in 2023 a clear roadmap i hope so um I think what needs to happen is players in the market need to um, need to show their willingness to 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 want to achieve this, um, and, and not through not through mandate. I think you need to see that, uh, that that like ourselves, we decide to do what we do, um, not because it's mandated to us by you know the, uh, compliance rules. Um, compliance is the law. You know it doesn't it doesn't achieve anything other than saying that you're operating legally. Um, what you need to do is go beyond that. Uh, I, I appreciate that there's, there's, there's often costs associated with, uh, with, with pioneering in that sense. What you need to do as an organization and what I would like to see other shipping companies do is, is find those opportunities where you can make big gains um, on, the, on your carbon intensity, on your carbon reductions, um, and do so without having to break the bank. And certainly that's what we're seeing. And of course, that comes with it needs support from stakeholders. It needs cargo owners uh, to support you. Ultimately, it needs us, me and you, as uh, as consumers, uh, to to make uh, personal decisions on on actually how we um, how we source our, um, and of course that will always work its way back through the supply chain. But um, yeah, twenty twenty three is a big a big uh, point. I think that's what we need to see some some clearer markers. Um, but in general, I really welcome twenty thirteen twenty fifty. I look forward to you know to exceeding those goals. Great and. Um... And in, uh, in yeah, in 2023 seems like um, um, you know a long way, but actually it's it's uh, in terms of shipping terms, it's just tomorrow. And uh, and and in fact, you you you've seen already um, the the European Parliament uh, um, kind of well jumping a little bit here, and and they've they've uh, they're asking for the the shipping emissions to be part of the uh, including the ETS scheme that they have um, by 2022, right? January 1st, 2022. Is is that going to impact uh, UECC and and operation? And um, do you see it that as as a positive thing, or or please 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 share your thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. I do. I mean, I can see that's definitely the way we're heading. First of all, the people who've been put in charge in the EU um, on the on the marine side certainly have a have a track record of, uh, of being involved in the emission trading scheme, and that and that's where we're that's where we're kind of heading. Um, I'm sure we'll have a carbon levy uh, or emission trading scheme in place in in shipping. Um, well, we know we're having that come in 2022, but I I also imagine that carbon levy as well come in place um, as as an organisation which as I said earlier, is already trying to reduce our carbon footprint before the before it's it's required. You know, this is a, a massive opportunity for us. You know, I think we have to look at it that way. I think we have to look at it from the perspective that those vessels we've invested in already, the, the LNG fuel vessels and the, the experience that we have on biofuels, uh, the other fuels which we're trialing at the moment, we have some emulsified diesel uh, trials going on. You know, we have a lot of different projects happening at the moment. And uh, I would like to um, I would like to give them an opportunity. It's 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 potentially another um, another market for us to be involved in, even outside of our core business of, of, of transporting uh, finished vehicles. But um, you know, it'll be interesting to see how it develops. Um, but it's something that I'm I'm, I'm looking forward to um, to being involved in personally. Mm, excellent. And uh, in fact, you kind of answered my my next question here, because uh, UECC has voluntarily explored and used. Uh, more expensive alternative uh, fuels like biofuels, and 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 so you you'd say it's it's really part of your uh, UECC's culture, uh, isn't it? Of 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 um, 
you know, decarbonizing your fleet before it's you before you're mandated to do so. Is that right? Absolutely. No, I absolutely agree. Yeah, it is. It is part of the culture. Um, and, and it's a funny thing because it's um, as an organization, I think it's something that UECC has, has had inherent uh, in its DNA for, for some years. Mm-hmm. Um, but only really now kind of maybe even I don't know if it's out of a naivety or, or what it is, but we're waking up to the possibilities and, and the opportunities actually that being this kind of actor in the market uh, provides. Um, and and what I see is that, you know, we, you know, we, we, we will, um, uh, you know, reap the rewards of the, of the seeds that have been sown uh, in, in, in years past, because already we see that contracts are being awarded to, to us as a shipping company based on our use of LNG, not, uh, not oil. Uh, we're seeing that uh, customers are coming and supporting uh, the biofuel trial that we had. So, you know, these, these, um, these decisions, uh, these kind of uh, pioneering movements that we make uh, are not only just uh, for the good of the planet, which they undoubtedly are, but they make commercial sense as well. And ultimately, that has to be the way that you, you operate. You know, being a sustainable operator is, is going to be the key to being a successful uh, commercial operator in the future. And, you know, sustainability is not just uh, it's not just the environment and societal sustainability. It's also financial sustainability, of course. And you can't just throw money at um, the most expensive fuels if if you don't have anybody coming along the way with you and supporting you. Um, so, you know, we, we make the investments we do on the assumption that our customers uh, believe in what we're trying to achieve and will ultimately reward us uh, with, uh, with with orders. And that is and that's. That is coming to fruition already. I would mm-hmm. like to see. I'd like to see more, um, but but we're seeing positive steps already. Well, there was an article uh, about BMW, their um, their series of of uh, uh, fully electric cars. Is that right? That are shipped uh, on your vessels, and yeah. uh, they they I believe in that. Is it the vessel that you were talking about uh, earlier that is uh, fully you know? burning biofuels uh, c- can you maybe talk a little bit more about um that experience of of uh burning biofuels is good fuels right uh, that that's right. the the fuel that you bunkered uh, back then uh yes please please uh, talk about it a bit thanks yeah so i mean it's you know so what that is to us um we 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 decided back in march of this year um of course it, we were discussing it a little bit before that before coronavirus really uh, hit our shores but we were discussing the possibility to put some biofuel on one of our vessels and, um, you know, you see in the market this, this uh, you know, good fuels are a great operator when you want to take 100% biofuel. There are other guys in the market who are looking at taking uh, 25, uh, 30 or 50% blends. You know, my, my vision was quite clear from the beginning that I wanted this to be at the end of fossil fuel on that particular vessel. Um, I wanted to say, look, let's try this. Let's go all in 100 B100 uh, fuel. Um, let's see how it goes. Um, we did that in the beginning. Uh, we took the, we took the plunge on that. We took uh, I think it was three month uh, contract in the beginning and just started to see how the vessel ran with it. And we were quite satisfied uh, operationally with it. There were some changes, of course, as I mentioned with the with the changes in uh, VLSFO and ULSFO in, in years past. There's always some changes in how you handle uh, different fuels that that comes with the territory. Um, but um, but no, we, we we made that kind of investment. We went for the fuel. And, we, you know, we were rewarded in, in June when the BMW also came to the table and said, look, we have cargo on board this vessel. Um, what, how, you know, how can we possibly see a way that we can transport those vehicles that are carbon neutrally? Um, and, and they came and supported that project, which was, which was really fantastic. And, and since the, um, you know, that was a, a three month period that we ran that trial for, as I would call it. Um, but in my own, 
mined now. I mean, we, we still run that vessel on biofuel 100% of the time. Um, so we're doing so at the moment without customer support. And I would really welcome any uh, any of our customers to, to, to jump on board and support that. Um, because, you know, that vessel has has saved uh, you know, many thousands of, uh, of tons of CO2 uh, since uh, since the start of this year when we when we implemented the, the Bio 100 on board. Well, the, the message is, is out and uh, hopefully there's a lot of uh, potential customers of yours out there um, um, that are sensitive um, to, um, to, to the environment and uh, uh, decarbonizing their um, transportation footprint. Is that right? So I think it's, uh, right. I think it's, it's, it's a great message. and It's um, very palpable and practical now because you, you can track it. Uh, what you, you, you can measure it. And, and I think it's, it's that much more relevant. Um, now, uh, LNG, you, you touched on that also earlier. Uh, how about your, your experience on, on um, using LNG as, uh, as a bunker? I mean, LNG itself, let's not forget, I believe it's, it's about 20, 21% of, of uh, CO2 reduction. Yeah. Maybe it can be a GHG reduction, but I think at least CO2 reduction. Um, so it's 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 also a, a environmentally friendly solution at scale and uh, competitive priced uh, as well. Um, so what are the yeah? If you can talk a bit about that too. Yeah, sure. So so I mean on 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 LNG, you know, this has been this this certainly is the way that we're heading um, uh, for the for the next few years. I mean we. I remember the first vessels that we we built uh, in 2016-17. The project on those started in 2013-14. You know, because when you're building something which is really pioneering, I mean, they were the first uh, largest uh, uh, dual fuel LNG PCTCs in the in the world. Um, you have to plan these projects way in advance. And I remember at the time personally thinking, you know, why are we going for LNG here? I didn't quite get it because I was as as a, a bunker procurement professional, I was looking at the market and thinking. This, it's not there. I mean, there's no infrastructure. Where, where are we going to bunker these vessels? And, and what you could see that really was through a collaborative approach with the supplier we had in the beginning when these vessels were delivered, that we ensured we had the safe supply there. Um, we knew that the vessels were going to be arriving at the same time as the, the NGZ Bruges, which was the, the LNG bunker vessel, which was uh, stationed in Zeebrugge at that time. So we really had um, we really had uh, kind of some some sureties that we would have supply. So that was the first kind of uh, issue with LNG is where uh, where and when can you supply the fuel? What I can tell you is as a, again with the bunker procurement head on uh, since then is the market has completely transformed it's just it, it's just grown unbelievable and that's in the face of you know in the face of falling oil prices at times as well and real kind of uh, real big drops in the oil price you know what we've seen is that uh, these days you can operate in in northwest europe at least you can operate an lng vessel on more or less on a spot basis we're doing that right now our our vessels are, are buying lng on a spot basis they're not turned up to any supplier and if you said that in 2015, 16, people would think you were, were crazy. Um, you know, the market has really grown significantly. Um, and, and I think that uh, certainty of supply exists. Um, you know, I think that um, we've, we've had really positive uh, feedback from our customers. They're, they're, they're pleased that we've gone for LNG. Um, I think that we LNG is, a, and this is sometimes a contentious term, a bridging fuel uh, to the future. I see it as kind of, um, it, is a, it is a bridging fuel. It, 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 it achieves immediate emission reductions as you as you hit on there i mean you already get rid of your particulate matter you know you get rid of your sulfur um which which are obvious against against heavy fuel um you also see that you get a good reduction in the nox emissions 
and uh, the CO2 is reduced to 20, we'll call it 20%. Um, so you've got an immediate benefit to, to the local area, to local air quality, and also to, to greenhouse gas, uh, general greenhouse gas emissions. What I would say is that we um, see this, uh, see, see the LNG investment as being something much for the longer term. LNG is great for now. And this is potentially why uh, they don't like to use the term bridging sometimes. It's not the ultimate solution. We can't use LNG in 2050. We probably won't be using it in 2040. Um, what I see as the future is that LNG fuel, um, LNG fuel is a bridging fuel for now. LNG technology is a solution technology. So to, to have LNG engines on board or, or, or engines, gas engines on board uh, enables you to use the green fuels of the future. And I'm, and I'm talking there about having like, um, you know, green uh, synthetic LNG or bio LNG, most likely synthetic or synthetic natural gas, should I say. Um, what, what, I, what I see, and, and this will come to pass in the next 10 to 15 years, I guess, is a, is a scenario where we utilize uh, green hydrogen. Um, which is sourced uh, in according to locality, whether you're doing that with uh, with uh, uh, renewable solar power, whether you do it with hydro, whether you do it with um, wind power, whatever it is, um, we we basically uh, take uh, renewable hydrogen, uh, we capture carbon um, either at source or, or through air, air carbon capture, which is, of course, very expensive and advanced technology right now. Um, but we ultimately create a synthetic uh, methane, which we can utilize in the technology we have on board. And the vessels that we build today Will still be operating most likely for us maybe 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 elsewhere but they'll most likely be operating for us in 2050 you know the, the, these these vessels have a 30 35 year lifespan so the te the engine technology we put on board must be um able to handle the fuels of the future and i see that uh, that renewable uh, green um uh, uh, gas is the future for these vessels and and, and it's going to play a big role in the future um excellent uh, yeah and the, uh, um, in fact, leads up very well into my next question. Um, uh, it's a bit of a well guess estimate for you, but you're, you're, uh, that, that's that's your job in terms of energy and sustainability manager at UECC. So maybe you already have a, a ready answer for that. Uh, IMO 2050. Um, so let's say you know we're in 2040 and leading up to 20, 2050. What will be you think the, the top three fuels? Or technologies uh, by then to meet the 50% GHG reduction, and who knows? Like you said, maybe it's going to be even more stringent than 50% uh, GHG reduction by then. But uh, what are the top three fuels by then that will make the market share? Yeah, that's good. I mean, of course, if I if I if I had the definitive answer, I absolutely would have invested in the technologies here, and uh, hopefully, we'll be having this conversation a few Fair years later. But uh, but 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 in general, I would say I think I probably touched on that one. I, I really see. Um, green hydrogen, uh, uh, you know, methanation via green hydrogen, providing a green gas, has been has been a big part of the solution in the future. Um, you know, you know, methanol, uh, green methanol, green ammonia. Um, I, th I also see as really promising, um, promising kind of technologies. I'm, I'm a, a bit more skeptical about uh, hydrogen as a direct fuel source. I'm not sure that the density, energy density, is going to work too well and um, there's some handling issues there on board the vessels, which could be which could be really problematic. We'll we'll see on that one. Electrification again. I, I'm not entirely convinced that a completely electric vessel is is in our kind of on the horizon at the moment. I think that for um, vessels under maybe two three thousand uh, tons, then then we could be talking about electrification. You can probably work with that. But when you get to the kind of scale that we look at and, and ocean uh, ocean going vessels, electrification is difficult. 
what I would like to see is uh, biofuels really taking more of a, a leading role in this. Um, at the moment, biofuels are hamstrung slightly by the excessive cost. You know, they're very expensive. And, you know, the Netherlands is a unique location at the moment in Europe, uh, which is offering, um, offering, of course, government incentives to use biofuels. That's really supported the market. And I would like to see that happening, being rolled out in other parts of Europe as well. I think hopefully that's the way we will go. Hopefully the subsidies, if you like to call it that, or the, the incentives because of uh, the economic crisis that may have come out from, from COVID. I'd like to see other member states kind of offer the same sort of uh, schemes. I think that uh, biofuels in general, I can see, uh, I, I want to see a shift really from road transportation because at the moment the biofuels is is predominantly lots of it's going to the road transport sector. Yeah, you know, go, go, governments are mandating, you know, anything from five to 10 or 12 percent mm -hmm. uh, biofuel in the in the automotive uh, sector. And, and already I see that the automotive sector has moved on almost past biofuel. You know, really they're looking at, you're looking at hydrogen fueled uh, trucks. You're looking at electric cars and electric trucks. You know, I'd like to see the automotive sector and, and our customers indeed, our customers, the car manufacturers, they're, they're, they're pouring their, their energy into, uh, into um, electric cars and, and cars which are running on uh, really on, on sustainable electricity. So I kind of like to steal some of uh, the, the automotive sector's biofuel. You know, I think that, the shipping industry can can realise big carbon gains with with that biodiesel, um, where where the automotive sector is already on its own journey. So you know, biofuels will play a big part, but of course, the feedstocks is the main the main problem there. We need to, we need to find a a solution to potentially a huge market with 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 big feedstocks uh, problems. Yeah, that's true. It's uh, it's uh, it's uh, we're competing for for essentially the same feedstocks, although Dirk said that, that no, I mean, there's that second and third generation of, of um, biofuels being developed, especially at, at good fuels uh, with other type of feedstocks that um, will not compete with the roadside. But by large, right now, so far, that's been the story. And, and uh, you pointed out, yes, on the roadside, we can electrify a car fairly easily, right? It's, it's being done. Uh, but uh, electrifying a, a, a deep sea uh, vessel, uh, that's another uh, that's another story so um in um in terms of of uh you touched earlier on the collaboration amongst uh, all stakeholders that uh, needs to take place uh, in order to advance and eventually attain the goal for um decarbonizing the industry by the end of the century um uh, what's missing and and what who's falling behind uh from from where you see it in terms of you know talking to different flag states port states uh, uh financial institutions uh, regulators gov um, governments uh, who who's who's um yeah who's who's dragging their feet you think or or not doing enough yeah, it's a good question, a loaded question as well, and I don't want to make any enemies in the flag states uh, that we uh, that we flag our vessels. But no, I think it's um, I think uh, clearly collaboration is the word. I mean, it's kind of a bit of a buzzword at the moment. Collaboration is key here. Um, we found that with our biofuel uh, trial, we found it with LNG. You need uh, buy-in from the flag state. You need buy-in from uh, port state control as well. You know, we we when we brought LNG vessels into Zeebrugge, even though they had a, a, a significant um, LNG terminal at the, in the Fluxus terminal, they were still fairly apprehensive about the idea of LNG as marine fuel, you know, being delivered in their port. And of course, after we kind of all get around the table and do the necessary hazard uh, workshops, we we kind of find a solution and. Now, Zeebrugge is one of the best uh, places you can take LNG in, in, in Northwest Europe. Um, 
I think that uh, the collaboration runs all the way from top to bottom, and, and that includes, we touched on it there, the, the member states of, uh, of the EU. You know, if you're going to want to mandate uh, carbon emission reductions, then vehicles need to be put in place to, to, to help to expedite that. Uh, that can be through, um, through um, incentives on when, you, when you're using renewable fuels. Um, I think that we see uh, a real difference from flag to flag state um, where, you know, we're talking here sometimes about fuels which don't meet the ISO spec in the conventional sense. Um, of course, you can run on them, but they don't fit within the pigeonholes that exist uh, within the ISO spec. And, and sometimes you need some flexibility or you need some, the, the flag state need to come and say to you, look, uh, or even, and, and the classification society, you need to turn around and say, look, we are prepared to you know, give some exceptions on trialing this fuel and, and work on this as a project and see exactly how these fuels can work and find a solution, as opposed to, you know, it, you, you, sit, you sail with this uh, fuel on board, you're out of class. You know, I think that's, um, it's not the attitude you kind of want to have. And, and, and I've seen that, you know, different, different uh, flags have really operated in different ways. You know, some are very involved in this. They really want to know. They really want to actually even understand the greenhouse gas benefits of the different fuels because they want to make a, make a kind of um, an educated uh, decision on, on how they will, I guess, inform other members as well. So, um, yeah, at the moment, collaboration is key. Uh, the thing which is lacking, I would say, in really driving this on is that it's that gap between us as a supplier of transportation, you know, of logistics and, and our customers. Um, you know, we need our customers really to uh, come along this journey with us. Uh, that's, that's the collaboration that's going to drive this on. When you, when you then go together as, as um, the consumer of the fuel and the person who's, uh, you know, say BMW as an example again, when you go together to the, to the, to the member states, in the EU, you have a really strong case to say, look, the, the, the willingness is here to use these fuels. Um, you need to support the, you know, you need to support and, and grow this market. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and that's what I would like to see is this collaboration, first of all, for, between ourselves and our customers, um, and then onwards as a, as a lobbying group towards, um, towards the, you know, the, 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 the kind of the decision making uh, governmental organizations. All right. Yeah. And these... Uh... Uh, multinational corporation for sure. Uh, some of them definitely can afford uh, to to pay a bit extra to to do their their bit in 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 transporting and 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 like you said earlier, um, you know on a, on a per pair of shoe or car, you know I don't think the I think the consumer in the end uh, could absorb also that extra cost. <laughs> so it's uh, for everyone to sort of uh, pull their own weight. Uh, Absolutely. Um, listen, that was a, a fascinating conversation, uh, ri rich in, in, in information, and uh, we, we could go on and on and on. But uh, uh, listen, to, just to wrap it up, do you have any final thoughts or putting words for uh, our listeners? Yeah, I suppose um, you know the last uh, the last question there was kind of ended up as a bit of a rallying call anyway. But uh, but I would say that that's what that's what my message at the moment is that I want and, and you know it, it maybe it sounds twee, but I want us as consumers to make decisions um, based on um, based on the sustainability, uh, the, the the criteria, the credentials of the goods that we buy, because ultimately that shapes where we go. Um, you know, lobby lobbying uh, lobbying the manufacturers of these kind of goods, lobbying the the, the logistics providers, uh, lobbying member states. That's how we affect a real change here. Um, you know, we are very much uh, we are a very sustainable operator. We have three uh, LNG battery hybrid uh, vessels coming in next year, and we you know the the 
emission reductions that these vessels are going to bring is going to be huge. Um, we've saved 27,000 tons of, uh, of um, CO2 since we started using the LNG vessels, which is huge. Um, you know, we're open for business with, with our customers on emission reductions, and, and I want us as consumers to, uh, to make informed decisions on, on where and, and how we buy our goods. I think the the rallying cry is, is loud and clear. So thank you very much, uh, Dan, for for uh, this conversation and um, and and sharing your your breadth of uh, of knowledge um, with us all. Uh, thank and you very keep much. Keep up the good work. Take care. Thanks for having me.